Chapter fifty three of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Lafanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fifty three An Odd Proposal. As I and Mary Quince returned from our walk that day and had entered the hall, I was surprised most disagreeably by Dudley's emerging from the vestibule at the foot of the great staircase. He was, I suppose, in his travelling costume, a rather soiled white surtout, a great coloured muffler in folds about his throat, his chimney-pot on, and his fur cap sticking out from his pocket. He had just descended, I suppose, from my uncle's room. On seeing me, he stepped back and stood with his shoulders to the wall, like a mummy in a museum. I pretended to have a few words to say to Mary before leaving the hall, in the hope that, as he seemed to wish to escape me, he would take the opportunity of getting quickly off the scene. But he had changed his mind, it was seen, in the interval, for when I glanced in that direction again, he had moved towards us and stood in the hall with his hat in his hand. I must do him the justice to say he looked horribly dismal, sulky, and frightened. "'You'll give me a word, miss, only a thing I ought to say. For your good, by blank mind, it's for your good, miss.' Dudley stood a little way off, viewing me, with his hat in both hands and a glooming countenance. I detested the idea of either hearing or speaking to him, but I had no resolution to refuse, and only saying, "'I can't imagine what you can wish to speak to me about,' I approached him. "'Wait there at the banister, Quince.' There was a fragrance of alcohol about the flushed face and gaudy muffler of this odious cousin, which heightened the effect of his horribly dismal features. He was speaking, besides, a little thickly, but his manner was dejected, and he was treating me with an elaborate and discomfited respect which reassured me. "'I'm a bit up a tree, miss,' he said, shuffling his feet on the oak floor. "'I behaved a deep fool, but I bain't one of they sort. I'm a feller as he'll fight his man, and stand up to him fair, don't you see?' "'I bain't one of they sort. No, dang it, I bain't.' Dudley delivered his puzzling harangue with a good deal of undertoned vehemence, and was strangely agitated. He, too, had got an unpleasant way of avoiding my eye and glancing along the floor from corner to corner as he spoke, which gave him a very hang-dog air. He was twisting his fingers in his great sandy whisker, and pulling it roughly enough to drag his cheek about by that savage purchase, and with his other hand he was crushing and rubbing his hat against his knee. The old boy above there be half-crazed, I think. He don't mean half, as he says, though, not he. But I'm in a bad fix, anyhow. A regular sell it's been, and I can't get a tizzy out of him. So, you see, I'm up a tree, miss, and he's such a one. He'll make a wuss mull if I let him. He's as sharp with me as one of them lawyer chaps, dang him, and he's a lot of I.O.'s and rubbish of mine and Briley writes to me he can't give me my legacy cause he's got a notice from Archer and Slay a warning him not to give me as much as a bob for I signed it away to Governor, he says, which I believe's a lie. I may have signed some writing, happen I did, but when I was a bit cut one night, and that's no way to catch a gentleman, and twon't stand. There's justice to be had, and twon't stand, I say, and I'm not in his hands that way. Though if I may be a bit up the spout, too, I don't deny. Only I bain't a gone the whole hog all at once. I'm none of they sort. 
you'll find i bain't here mary quince coughed demurely from the foot of the stair to remind me that the conversation was protracted i don't very well understand and i am now going upstairs don't just a minute miss it's only a word you see we'll be going to australia sarah mangles and me aboard the sea mew on the fifth i'm for liverpool to-night and she'll meet me there and and please god almighty you'll never see me more and i'd rather give you a lift maud before i go if you'll just give me your written promise you'll give me that twenty thousand you were offering to give the governor i'll take you cleverly out of bartram and put you with your cousin knollys or anywhere you like best take me from bartram for twenty thousand pounds take me away from my guardian you seem to forget sir my indignation rising as i spoke that i can visit my cousin lady knollys whenever i please well that is as may be he said with a sulky deliberation scraping about a little piece of paper that lay on the floor with the toe of his boot it is as may be and that is as i say sir and considering how you have treated me your mean treacherous and infamous suit and your cruel treason to your poor wife i am amazed at your effrontery i turned to leave him being in truth in one of my passions don't be a flyin out he said peremptorily and catching me roughly by the wrist i bain't a goin to vex ye what a mouth you be and as can't see your way can't ye speak with common sense like a woman dang it for once and not keep brawlin like a brat can't ye see what i'm sayin i'll take ye out o all this and put ye with your cousin or wheresoever ye list if ye give me what i say he was for the first time looking me in the face but with contracted eyes and a countenance very much agitated money said i with a prompt disdain ay money twenty thousand pounds there on or off he replied with an unpleasant sort of effort you asked my promise for twenty thousand pounds and you shan't have it my cheeks were flaming and i stamped on the ground as i spoke if he had known how to appeal to my better feelings i am sure i should have done perhaps not quite that all at once at least but something handsome to assist him but this application was so shabby and insolent what could he take me for that i should suppose his placing me with cousin monica constituted her my guardian why he must fancy me the merest baby there was a kind of stupid cunning in this that disgusted my good nature and outraged my self-importance you won't give me that then he said looking down again with a frown and working his mouth and cheeks about as i could fancy a man rolling a piece of tobacco in his jaw certainly not sir i replied take it then he replied still looking down very black and discontented i joined mary quince extremely angry as i passed under the carved oak arch of the vestibule i saw his figure in the deepening twilight the picture remains in its murky halo fixed in memory standing where he last spoke in the centre of the hall not looking after me but downward and as well as i could see with the countenance of a man who has lost a game and a ruinous wager too that is black and desperate i did not utter a syllable on the way up when i reached my room i began to reconsider the interview more at my leisure i was such were my ruminations to have agreed at once to his preposterous offer and to have been driven while he smirked and grimaced behind my back at his acquaintances through feltram in his dog-cart to elverston 
and then to the just indignation of my uncle to have been delivered up to lady knollys's guardianship and to have handed my driver as i alighted the handsome fare of twenty thousand pounds it required the impudence of tony lumpkin without either his fun or his shrewdness to have conceived such a prodigious practical joke maybe you'd like a little tea miss insinuated mary quince what impertinence i exclaimed with one of my angry stamps on the floor not you dear old quince i added no no tea just now and i resumed my ruminations which soon led me to this train of thought stupid and insulting as dudley's proposition was it yet involved a great treason against my uncle should i be weak enough to be silent may he not wishing to forestall me misrepresent all that had passed so as to throw the blame altogether upon me this idea seized upon me with a force which i could not withstand and on the impulse of the moment i obtained admission to my uncle and related exactly what had passed when i had finished my narrative which he listened to without once raising his eyes my uncle cleared his throat once or twice as if to speak he was smiling i thought with an effort and with elevated brows when i concluded he hummed one of those sliding notes which a less refined man might have expressed by a whistle of surprise and contempt and again he essayed to speak but continued silent the fact is he seemed to me very much disconcerted he rose from his seat and shuffled about the room in his slippers i believe affecting only to be in search of something opening and shutting two or three drawers and turning over some books and papers and at length taking up some loose sheets of manuscript he appeared to have found what he was looking for and began to read them carelessly with his back towards me and with another effort to clear his voice he said at last and pray what could the fool mean by all that i think he must have taken me for an idiot sir i answered not unlikely he has lived in a stable among horses and ostlers he has always seemed to me something like a centaur that is a centaur composed not of man and horse but of ape and an ass and upon this stripe he laughed not coldly and sarcastically as was his wont but i thought flurriedly and continuing to look into his papers he said his back still toward me as he read and did he not favour you with an exposition of his meaning which except in so far as it estimated his deserts at the modest sum you have named appears to me too oracular to be interpreted without a kindred inspiration and again he laughed he was growing more like himself as to your visiting your cousin lady knollys the stupid rogue had only five minutes before heard me express my wish that you should do so before leaving this i'm quite resolved you shall that is unless dear maud you should yourself object but of course we must wait for an invitation which i conjecture will not be long in coming in fact your letter will naturally bring it about and i trust open the way to a permanent residence with her the more i think it over the more i am convinced dear niece that as things are likely to turn out my roof would be no desirable shelter for you and that under all circumstances hers would such were my motives maud in opening through your letter a door of reconciliation between us i felt that i ought to have kissed his hand that he had indicated precisely the future that i most desired 
and yet there was within me a vague feeling akin to suspicion akin to dismay which chilled and overcast my soul but maud he said i am disquieted to think of that stupid jackanapes presuming to make you such an offer a creditable situation truly arriving in the dark at elverston under the solitary escort of that wild young man with whom you would have fled from my guardianship and maud i tremble as i ask myself the question would he have conducted you to elverston at all when you have lived so long in the world as i you will appreciate its wickedness more justly here there was a little pause i know my dear that were he convinced of his legal marriage with that young woman he resumed perceiving how startled i look such an idea of course would not have entered his head but he does not believe any such thing contrary to fact and logic he does honestly think that his hand is still at his disposal and i certainly do suspect that he would have employed that excursion in endeavouring to persuade you to think as he does be that how it may however it is satisfactory to me to know that you shall never more be troubled by one word from that ill-regulated young man i made him my adieus such as they were this evening and never more shall he enter the walls of bartram howe while we too live uncle silas replaced the papers which had ostensibly interested him so much and returned there was a vein which was visible near the angle of his lofty temple and in moments of agitation stood out against the surrounding pallor in a knotted blue cord and as he came back smiling askance i saw this sign of inward tumult we can however afford to despise the follies and knaveries of the world maud as long as we act as we have hitherto done with perfect confidence in each other heaven bless you dear maud your report troubled me i believe more than it need troubled me a good deal but reflection assures me it is nothing he is gone in a few days time he will be on the sea i will issue my orders to-morrow morning and he will never more during his brief stay in england gain admission to bartram howe good-night my good niece i thank you and so i returned to mary quince on the whole happier than i had left her but still with the confused and jarring vision i could not interpret perpetually rising before me and as from time to time shapeless anxieties agitated me relieving them by appeals to him who is, who alone is wise and strong next day brought me a good-natured gossiping letter from dear milly written in compulsory french which was in some places very difficult to interpret she gave me a very pleasant account of the place and her opinion of the girls who were inmates and mentioned some of the nuns with high commendation her language plainly cramped poor milly's genius but although there was by no means so much fun as an honest english letter would have brought me there could be no mistake about her liking the place and she expressed her honest longing to see me in the most affectionate terms this letter came enclosed in one to my uncle from the proper authority in the convent and as there was neither address within nor postmark without i was as much in the dark as ever as to poor milly's whereabouts pencilled across the envelope of this letter in my uncle's hand were the words let me have your answer when sealed and i will transmit it s r when accordingly some days later i did place my letter to milly in my uncle's hands he told me the reason of his reserves on the subject 
"'I thought it best, dear Maud, not to plague you with the secret, "'and Milly's present address is one. "'It will in a few weeks become the rallying point of our diverse routes, "'when you shall meet her, and I join you both. "'Nobody, until the storm shall have blown over, "'must know where I am to be found, except my lawyer, "'and I think you will prefer ignorance to the trouble of keeping a secret "'on which so much may depend.' This being reasonable, and even considerate, I acquiesced. In that interval there reached me such a charming, gay, and affectionate letter, a very long letter, too, though the writer was scarcely seven miles away, from dear cousin Monica, full of pleasant gossip, and rose-coloured and golden castles in the air, and the kindest interest in poor Milly, and the warmest affection for me. One other incident varied that interval, if possible more pleasantly than those. It was the announcement, in a Liverpool paper, of the departure of the Seamew, bound for Melbourne, and among the passengers were reported Dudley Ruthyn, Esquire, of Bartram H., and Mrs. D. Ruthyn. And now I began to breathe freely. I plainly saw the end of my probation approaching. A short excursion to France, a happy meeting with Milly, and then a delightful residence with cousin monica for the remainder of my nonage you will say then that my spirits and my serenity were quite restored not quite how marvellously lie our anxieties in filmy layers one over the other take away that which has lain on the upper surface for so long the care of cares the only one as it seemed to you between your soul and the radiance of heaven and straight you find a new stratum there as physical science tells us no fluid is without its skin, so does it seem, with this fine medium of the soul, and these successive films of care that form upon its surface on mere contact with the upper air and light. What was my new trouble? A very fantastic one, you will say. The illusion of a self-tormentor. It was the face of Uncle Silas which haunted me, notwithstanding the old pale smile there was a shrinking grimness and the always averted look. Sometimes I fancied his mind was disordered. I could not account for the eerie lights and shadows that flickered on his face except so. There was a look of shame and fear of me, amazing as that seems, in the sheen of his peaked smile. I thought, perhaps he blames himself for having tolerated Dudley's suit, for having urged it on grounds of personal distress, for having altogether lowered though under sore temptation, both himself and his office, and he thinks that he has forfeited my respect. Such was my analysis, but in the coup d'oeil of that white face that dazzled me in darkness and haunted my daily reveries with a faded light, there was an intangible character of the insidious and the terrible. End of chapter 53